Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Jenna Ipcar. Yay! One on one. Oh, yeah. Mano y mano. Are there any other like foreign words for that? Mm. Uno y uno? <laughs> that works. Yeah, that works. That's not a thing people say, but it works. Maybe while playing the game Uno. All right. So Jenna is here today, and we're going to just talk about Jenna. Yeah. That's really the main topic and, and Jenna and how Jenna pertains to film. And we're going to start this off by talking about her project that she's been undertaking for the site. Jenna Does Elvis, which has been a, a admirable <laughs> feat. You're halfway through right now through all of the Elvis movies. You're doing two a week. You've been writing pieces every week, just detailing what's good about them, what's Elvisy about them. So what, what sparked you to even start doing this? I've always liked Elvis. I like music a lot. I love the 60s and 70s for as far as film goes. And I also love it musically, typically. Uh, there's a lot of cheesy shit, obviously, from the 60s, like, including all these Elvis movies. But um, I don't know. I've always liked Elvis. But then I don't really know why. I think I was just talking about him. And then I, I realized that he had like 31 movies. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, Elvis is one of those people that he's like a figure. You don't really think about Elvis. You think about like one image of Elvis or like you think about like the those clocks with his hips moving or you think about like a black velvet yeah, painting. Yeah, all the kitsch. Yeah, and like like Marilyn Monroe. You don't actually realize that, you know, and then one day you see Marilyn Monroe in like a different photo, you mm -hmm. know, or the same thing with Elvis, like a photo that isn't the iconic tried and true reproduced en masse, uh, you know, image. And you're like, oh no shit, like... Marilyn Monroe is really hot, you know, or like you and see her movies. And she was movies. a good actress, too. Exactly. Have You're you like, seen a lot of her, her films? Yeah, they're all really good. Yeah. And she's she has good comedic timing, you know, like she she's really great. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, no shit, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, same thing I feel like with any of these like big names, you know, like you forget that they to get that name because they actually are talented. You yeah, know? they like, had to have something. I mean, there wouldn't be 31 Elvis movies if all of them were shit, you know? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, but true, it's true. I mean, like, there was definitely, you know, the the want for them. And then you forget that Elvis isn't his fans. Like, and sometimes the fans are really what, like, ruins, you know? Or, like, that idea that you should like this. I think, like, you look at, like, an artist like Picasso, I think it's really easy to dismiss a lot, in a lot of ways because... You think, all right, he just does those dumb faces. Oh, you had a blue period. Like, that's what you like. You know it because you've been, it's been shoved down your throat. And like, this is what you need to know. This is what you must like. Right. It's distilled to like the basic information about it. It's like, oh, he had a blue period. He had like a cubist period. He had this, that. He did like some guy with a guitar that looked weird and <laughs> some lady with her tits all, you know, <laughs> yeah, all, all sorts of directions. <laughs> You know, that was his thing. And then it's like that. And then there's that one quote about him that everybody knows where it's like it took him like his whole adult life to learn how to like draw like a child or something. And then that's that's it. That's Picasso. That's all of his <laughs> body right. of work. And it's so easy entirely. to dismiss. Exactly. Yeah. And then you and then you resent it, too, because you're like, man, what do I have to know about this idiot who draws like a child, you know? And then one day you like look up actual Picasso work that isn't just those main things and you're like no shit the guy was really talented yeah you find stuff you really respond to it, it no longer becomes academic it's like when you're forced to read books in school right you know when you're forced to listen to Elvis music it's like that same thing it's like it's always hound dog yeah it's always like all shook up 
It's always these like, and there those are really good songs, but when you hear them a bazillion times and that's all you hear, it's it's very easy to get, you know, fatigued. Yeah. And it's it's hard to build up enthusiasm for it. It's hard to, you know, care about Jane Austen if you're caring about it in the context of, oh man, I have a quiz on Friday. I gotta remember what happened in like chapter five and like right. just answer some fucking questions in essay form or whatever. So that was just, I guess I just sort of decided, you know, I should really look into Elvis. Something sort of sparked. I was like, I think I was watching just videos uh, of him performing online. It might have been from the comeback special, Mm -hmm. the 68 comeback special where he's dressed in all that all leather outfit. Is he fat yet in that? No. See, he really didn't get fat until like his last couple of years. That's a funny thing, too, is like our concept of Elvis is fat. Like he's totally overtaken (laughs) Elvis. I know, but he's, he's way less fat than like any, you know, quote unquote fat person in media now. Like he's damn near skinny when he's fat, you know, compared to like Mike and Molly or Chris Christie (laughs) or, you know, any of these, these pop culture icons of fat now. Oh yeah. No, he wasn't. I mean, he did look bad. He was drinking heavily. He was doing uh, drugs and I guess it was compared to him at his prime. Right. You know, he looked bad compared to that. But like in general, like he was not wasn't, that bad. Yeah. He wasn't fat. It's like when you look up like images of like, oh, the fat man at the carnival, like <laughs> back in like the 20s or whatever. And it's just like some guy you'd see on the subway and wouldn't <laughs> even like think fat immediately in your mind as like the adjective or whatever. Yeah. You know, and that also that image, I think everyone also thinks of Elvis. If you're not thinking of Hound Dog, you're thinking of a fat Elvis who's dying in a joke died on the toilet, yeah. you know, and it's just so easy to dismiss. Or and, the peanut butter and jelly. I mean, right. not, not jelly, peanut butter and banana and bacon and whatever else. Right. Fried sandwiches. <laughs> that's that's about it. That's what people think of. So you delved into this chronologically. And what were your impressions from the, the early stuff? I was really pleasantly surprised, basically. I mean, the first couple movies are about what I thought, but they were fairly watchable. Well, actually, the first one. First is, one's Love Me Tender, right? Yeah, Love Me Tender. It's 1956. He's super young. I mean, this is like baby Elvis. He's got. He's in his early 20s, maybe like 21 even. Damn. Something. He's something very young. I didn't realize he started that young in film. Well, that's what's interesting too is that he at this point he was a, a major hit, and yeah. I didn't realize that he was a sort of teen pop idol. Right. Like, you know it. Like, well, it wasn't he always looked news. mature. He always looked about like 26. Right. <laughs> I think he's always looked like he was in his late 20s to 30. Yeah. And he'd stayed that way for a really long time until he started getting fat and then started looking really old. But I, yeah, he always, when he was young, he looked like he was older. Not old, but just like that, that iconic, unaging. Yeah, he had like a mature face. Yeah. It was filled out. You know, he kind of grew into his face a little bit. So Love Me Tender, that's like a black and white one. What's it's a Western. Yeah. Which is a kind of a weird choice because you'd think that, you know, Elvis music and not like Elvis Civil War. <laughs> really? Civil War. He's yeah, he's a um, a Confederate. Uh, basically, the um, Confederate soldiers come home after they just took a train. And then after they take this uh, Union train, they realize uh, the war is over and now everything that they took was now stolen. Mm. So they come home and there's Elvis, who's their uh, brother, and he's now married uh, the main guys. Um, and Elvis isn't even the main character, actually. He's this sort of side character who marries the, the main character's uh, girl. And now uh, and he sings occasionally, you know, it's like they <laughs> shove some Elvis songs in there. 
And then it's just about them like trying to do the right thing and like the guy dealing with his heartbreak. Yeah, uh, none of it none of it sounds like an Elvis movie to me. It just yeah, sounds not at like all. a movie. You know? and, and in the end, Elvis dies. He gets shot. Oh, man. <laughs> Does he die in any of the other Elvis movies? No, because apparently his mom flipped out. And she was like, I don't like to see that. I don't want to see it. And mm. so they decided, well, okay. And then I guess fans probably weren't too happy either. Yeah, his first movie out. Yeah. <laughs> sets a shitty precedent. And he's not a great guy in that movie, too. He's kind of a, the bad guy in a way. Is it his most, like three-dimensional role so far because you've seen about half his catalog right now is that his most like uh you know he's he's a little bit dark he's a little bit twisted you know there's something there role the first couple of i want to say like the first 10 movies you you see dark uh elvis Mm -hmm. more than you do like pop like boring Elvis. Yeah, because like Jailhouse Rock he's kind of a dick, right? Violent. Yeah. Yeah. Jailhouse Rock, he is like straight up like I mean, he kills a man with his bare fists in the first <laughs> 10 minutes and then he goes to jail for it Yeah, where he like sings a lot, but also gets into brawls. Like the second he gets out of jail, like he also like, I think beats the shit out of somebody in a bar. In the end, he gets basically punched in the throat by another man. Jesus. They have to do like a tracheotomy <laughs> and then he learns his lesson and you're like, oh my God, like I did not realize that this was such like a dark film. Oh, yeah. It super is. But I would say that his most 3D role was my favorite movie so far, which was King Creel. Right. Because that, that, that seems to be like, you know, if if you're more on the kitschy side of Elvis, you just like Jailhouse Rock. And if you if you're really an Elvis fan, I I've known like real Elvis fans, and that's usually their favorite because he's it's really plays to his strengths. He's this kid who's sort of you know trying his best to uh, you know support his family and uh, you know and have two jobs on the side while trying to graduate from I think high school, which no one in his family's ever done. And of course, he gets expelled out of school because he he tries to he ends up saving some uh, call girl uh, from like basically being murdered Mm. and then he goes to school they're like i can't believe you didn't show up again and then they expel him and it's completely unfair and it's terrible and he's like oh man i can't go back home again i can't tell them this and like he's just trying his best and it really he has that james dean thing Mm. and he's playing it up and the other thing is that the music is really good in that movie and it makes sense like there's a real context for him singing i mean it's a musical so like yes the opening scene is him on a balcony uh, there's a bunch of street vendors singing and he sings with them, uh, you know, maybe not the like, real life. But then he's also, you know, sings as a sort of cabaret singer. And that's uh, the big plot is that they find out, oh, the busboy can sing. Mm. And then these two um, guys who own clubs are fighting over him. So it was it like really plays him up. He's a real 3D character. You get to meet his father. You meet his sister. You meet these two girls that he's trying to he's falls for the call girl and he falls for like the nice girl next door who wants to marry him and he doesn't know what to do and he thinks he has to maybe i should just do my own thing and like it was really well done movie so that's basically the one to see really yeah i'd say that if you have any interest in in uh any sort of elvis movie start start big start good start with king creole right you've mentioned in some of the pieces that the the song uh choices have gotten pretty random as you've gone on, like there's some really oddball tunes in some of these. And usually they're like minute long songs too, right? There was some like weird puppet one I remember you're telling me about. Oh God, yeah. That was from G.I. Blues. He's like in Germany and he's like <laughs> taking this girl around and like at part of it, like they go on like, you know, a boat and on uh, one of those air trams. 
you yeah, know, it's like then, a tourism board like montage. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Blue Hawaii was. But uh, <laughs> with GI Blues, they, they like wander into some like children's like um, puppet performance and mm. decide this is a good place to take our date, you know, like <laughs> and then the the guy who uh, they do the puppets and then the guy's like cranking out music and the, the crank box breaks. So then Elvis is like, well, don't don't worry, kids, like I'll save the day. And he's like sings to this puppet it is a cheesy. It's called Wooden Heart <laughs> is the name of that song. It is so cheesy. What's the weird one where he's singing to like the kid? That like that was one of your choices for like one of the really weirdly weird ones where it's just like him and like this little girl and he's singing to her about something. Yeah, that was for it happens at the world. It happened at the World's <laughs> Fair, which was actually interesting in the sense that um, the plot wasn't fantastic, but it takes place in the Seattle World's Fair, which is really great because you're like, well, yeah, this is almost like a historical document. They did shoot a good amount of it at the World's Fair, right? Which is, I think, actually pretty exciting. I, if I was, you know alive back then i think i would have been like oh elvis is gonna be there we should show up and he's not there for too many scenes but um you do get like this nice it's also like the tourism board it's like look at all the things you can see at the world's fair like, right but it's cool but yeah it's basically that, like a clown song yeah yeah i don't remember the name of it but it's about sending the clowns <laughs> it's <laughs> I, some kind of clown i just name. looked it up it's um how would you like to be ah uh, yeah <laughs> He's just trying to cheer up this little girl who basically like um, the, the beginning of this film is that he's trying to hitchhike up to Seattle. He gets picked up by this this truck with a uncle and his like, um, you know, niece. And she's like five or six or something. She's very it's young. like a little Asian girl, right? Yeah. And they're also the, the best thing about the movie, surprisingly not racist. Yeah. That was the one where like <laughs> you saw the Asians show up and you're like, oh, no, this is going to be the most racist one yet because... You've been seeing like a lot of racism in a lot of these, a lot of like yeah, it's uh, the 60s, you yeah, know? <laughs> time period racism. But then in this one, miraculously, no mention of anything. <laughs> He's like just like his name is like Mr. Ling or something. Yeah, or they just happen. It's just two Chinese people. Yeah. Just happen to be hanging out. And then like he shows up. They're like, where are you going? She's like, we're going to the World's Fair, you know, and then. Basically, the uncle gets called to work. Elvis has to take, you know, also no like gong sound when they <laughs> yeah. show up. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it was really refreshing. I because I was just waiting the entire time with my teeth clenched. You yeah. know, like oh, this You're is like, gonna take coming. a fucking turn. <laughs> Some sort of laundry joke is coming around the corner. It's something bad. Nope. But uh, yeah, basically, she gets uh, her uncle just never shows up. Uh, mm. to pick her up and so then elvis kind of is the good guy and it's like all right well i'm not gonna leave this child here so he takes her home and he's trying to um you know cheer her up so, so it's just elvis and a chinese girl singing a song about clowns yeah just a yeah. casual <laughs> <laughs> that yeah there are these little like casual like minute long songs it seems and you mentioned in one of the recent ones that uh, it started to bug Elvis and then he did one where he just recorded no new music because he was so pissed off. Yeah. That was Tickle Me? Yes, because he... So he did Girl Happy. And in Girl Happy, he the, the songs he had to record were so terrible that he refused to record any more music. But you like that Fort Lauderdale one, right? That was just a ridiculous <laughs> song because he's just strolling around. He's like trying to pick up this girl and he's just, this song is basically about how it's like, it's in this like, you know, sort of list version of why it's illegal to like not Mac on chicks while you're in Florida. <laughs> it's it's kind of great. Like it's, and he's just yeah. casually just like, you know, stay away from the pool, like, you know, pick up some chicks. Like that's what the song is. It's really ridiculous. But it gets worse from there. <laughs> yeah, and he hated he hated he that. He hated it. So then for the next movie, which was Tickle Me, 
they used all recycled music mm. because it was just he refused to record anything. And and so he was also Elvis was doing these movies at this point at this breakneck speed of three movies a year. It's just crazy. Yeah. And it's some like, of them it's impossible for them to be any good, really. I mean, when they are, it's like a fucking miracle because that that pace is just insane. Like, I can't even imagine like whoever like the biggest like pop star like i guess it's like one direction now like it was justin bieber for a time but imagine if there was like a justin bieber movie three a year (laughs) people would be out of their fucking minds i guess the only thing you could compare it to is probably adam sandler because he seems to do maybe one or two a year at this like breakneck speed where they're all pretty much shit and but people but it's popular like people are going to see it maybe maybe adam sandler is the new elvis (laughs) maybe that's a realization He's Elvis for a uh, another generation. Oh God! Because <laughs> he did music. Yeah, he yeah. has some songs in some of his films. He huh? was talented for a time. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make the case that Adam Sandler's the new Elvis. Well, I would say the one thing with Elvis is just that you know these movies in the '60s didn't come out as often clearly as they do today. Right. So three a year was, I think, also a lot at the time, but probably a little more exciting because otherwise it was like the same movie playing at the theater for like months. Right. They would just run them and run them and run them. And this way there was some variety. Yeah. So I could see why maybe people kept going, you know, as opposed to like if a three Justin Bieber movies came out a year now, it would be like, holy shit, like, please don't. Yeah. But, so you were saying too, um, there became like a an Elvis theme where it was like Elvis as a pilot and then Elvis like in a blonde wig and Elvis like having some other profession. It just became like blank Elvis, like like almost Barbie dolls. So there's like the this the flight attendant Barbie doll and there's like the secretary Barbie doll and yeah. there's like the fireman you know, there's every job that the Barbie could possibly have. It became like that with Elvis with these movies where they just plugged him into a, a new role. Right. And it gets it gets crazy. And I can understand why at first that started happening, because the first few movies you have like Western Elvis, you have Elvis, who the um, Loving You, I believe, is the second one, which is kind of Elvis's origin story, but with a little more weird stuff kind of thrown in there. But he's mm. like a truck driver who gets noticed, who gets on stage and becomes a singing sensation. You know, when it starts off kind of like that, it's like he's a guy and he sings, you know, and then eventually it turns into like, yeah, these themes which I can understand in the sense that, all right, we have to make three movies. What are we going to make them about? Because none of them have a real plot. But then uh, eventually it gets really nuts mm-hmm. because like Fun at Acapulco, <laughs> which I think if you guys also, if you read any one of my Elvis reviews, I would totally start with that one because Elvis was banned for Mexico, which I didn't yeah, know. Because of that shit. Yeah, because these movies apparently made people crazy. And also I think that, you know, rock and roll was the devil's music because it was <laughs> the 60s. So whatever. But I mean, that was really interesting. I did not realize that. And if you watch that movie, he um, there's no shots of him in Mexico. He shot the whole thing right. on a soundstage. And then they sent a guy to Mexico that looked like Elvis as a, as a body <laughs> double for just long shots. Yeah. Like that was ridiculous. And how fucking scary is that fucking gig as the guy who's the double of Elvis while Elvis isn't allowed in Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. There was some real like people. That guy probably had the worst gig, man. Like everyone's like, wait a second, is that Elvis? (laughs) Like everyone's pissed off and like probably officials are like trying to figure out if that's Elvis or whatever. And a radio announcer, the part of the reason why they said they didn't, they didn't like Elvis wasn't allowed 
is that a radio announcer said that Elvis quoted Elvis as saying that that he'd rather kiss a dog than a Mexican woman, mm. which has no basis in, in reality. Yeah, and there's unfortunately, no, there's no quote. Yeah, and I mean, really. he even Elvis even uh, issued the statement of like this. I never said this, and if you want, like to, I'll I'll sign something. Like you can send whatever you in. I'll send you like a free album. Like I swear to God, this never happened. And I believe him actually because Elvis always has gotten this weird rap for. Uh, racism and I think it's more yeah, just that's because been, that's been like a history there's I've always seen those like urban legend quotes of right. his that are totally fucking bullshit and like apparently he had like a good rapport with like a lot of black musicians that he worked with yeah exactly and, and it's interesting and I think that part of it is just because of the fact that he was doing the white version of black songs in the beginning right and, and he kept on doing it but I mean it's he did it with he did it with love and he was Colonel good at Parker. it. And he was, you know, he's essentially like a gospel singer. Right. And I think if anything, he's like, you know, the, the person that opened doors for everyone else to go look into this music. Sure. So, I mean, okay, yeah, he wasn't, should, you know, have uh, Jackie Wilson gotten every fame and money that Elvis got? Absolutely. But I don't think Elvis, I mean, he loved Jackie Wilson. You know, he, Elvis was completely enamored with all of these musicians that he um, used the music from. So in that sense, he always got this weird, I think it's because he's Southern too. But I mean, everything that I've sort of read about him, he seems like one of those like constantly giving people, you know, like really just like genuinely loved everyone who came up to him. I mean, he used to just go into the audience and kiss every single girl, (laughs) you know, like uh, you you, when's the last time you saw that, you know, like everyone's terrified of everyone now. I think Elvis, if he was alive now, probably still would be kissing everybody. (laughs) Well, it almost reminds you of like the uh, the Family Feud thing. Like, have you ever seen like really old episodes of Family Feud with Dickie Dawson where he would just kiss like all the women like when he went up to them or, like on the panel? Have oh, you really? Seen that? No. Yeah, he would, you know, the whole thing is that it would be like a family and it would be like cousins and nieces and nephews and daughters and, you know, mothers and, you know, it was just whatever five group of people they could find to like go with them on the show or whatever. And he would go up to like each one, whether they were like 16 or whether they were like 60 and he would just like (laughs) take their arms and he would, it was like a thing. It was like this, um, like it was like, oh, that's just Dickie Dawson being Dickie Dawson. (laughs) Like he would just go up to these, these women and he would just like hold their arms and be like, oh, so beautiful. (laughs) Kiss them on the cheek and kiss them on the other cheek. And sometimes he would kiss them on the lips. This was like a thing. There's like footage of it. This is just a just a game show. I'll, you just answer questions and trying to to guess like how many people like survey says all that. Sh- Nothing to do with kissing. <laughs> it's not the love connection. It's not any of that. It's just he he imbued it with this weird kissing ritual. That's terrifying. That, ha- that hasn't been kept up. It's not like Steve Harvey does <laughs> yeah. that. It's not like Can uh, you imagine? Louis Anderson was doing that when he was like, no, it was just him. <laughs> it was just this weird, creepy fucking thing that only he did. Yeah, that's just creepy. <laughs> I think with Elvis, I think girl and boy, I think everyone. Elvis is very attractive. That's yeah, another man. thing I've learned is that Elvis has such a confidence and he has no fear of making himself look anything other than himself. He's like that guy who can, I think that's a big appeal for women is that he got up on, on stage and shook his ass in like glittery costumes. He did exactly what women do, you know, when in the same sort of situation and he owned it. And then he just like went and macked on like every (laughs) (laughs) 
And you're like, yeah, like he's really, there's really something super attractive and like really masculine, actually. You'd think of a guy in a jumpsuit, you know, with a cape, like he dances with his ass, he swings his hips, you know, like yeah, that's he's the doing whole all thing. You'd think that that would be what, as Mexico thought, homosexual. <laughs> But isn't that like a flamenco thing? Like, That's what I think. I think the whole Mexico thing's ridiculous. Yeah, like he's basically so, wearing like a bullfighting outfit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so know. that's he's gay. They're not all right, whatever, Mexico. <laughs> yeah, they said he was gay, right? That was one of their yeah, all, was allegations. A, a big thing. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But no, Elvis, I mean, I he can come kiss me from beyond the grave anytime. And you said like he you started getting more into him as the tailoring got better in the films. Like there was there was one of them where like the tailoring was like really fucking good and he was wearing uh Yeah, like Cy Devore did the tailoring for um it happened at the World's Fair and that Elvis looks gorgeous. And yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting uh behind the scenes facts I learned about that is that apparently Elvis was in um a no underwear phase. Oh. <laughs> So they had to tailor all the clothing so that you couldn't tell. But <laughs> Elvis is a weirdo. Yeah, he had a no underwear phase. He had a kung fu phase. Right? He was obsessed with karate. And and you start seeing it in the movies. Like I watched Harem Scarum recently, which the review will come out, I guess, next week. All right. Which uh, you look forward to it. Yeah. And the first act of that, he's just karate chopping a leopard, like a straight up leopard. <laughs> It's just like uh, he's meant to be this like American uh, movie film actor who's uh, in uh, the Middle East somewhere. It's like not even a real country. So is this meta Elvis? You know what? It felt like a bad episode of Star Trek. <laughs> because In what way? No, like everyone was meant to be like this sort of Middle Eastern, Moroccan, Indian, <sighs> Arabic, but no one had any Arabic names. The only thing that even lets you know that it was Arabic is that they, they say they celebrate Ramadan, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's all white people with like Afghan hounds. <laughs> Weird. And like, um, they're all just wearing like, like Star Trek, like a uh, foreign alien princess outfits. So it's the Elvis episode. Yeah. It's him as, as Kirk or whatever. 100%. Like if you look at that movie, as just he's on another planet and this is what they do, <laughs> it becomes a really enjoyable movie. Right on. Because if you think about it otherwise, it's massively racist. <laughs> you know, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, that'll be, I'm looking forward to reading that one. That'll be a good one. So going through like phases of watching tons of movies, that's a thing, that's not a new thing for you. I remember you telling me like in college, like that was a really big thing. Like you, you just went through these phases where you were watching like pretty much everything you could of like certain genres and certain time periods and you would just watch movies incessantly and that's kind of how you started writing for the site is that you built up this like film catalog knowledge just by just watching things incessantly and going on different you know tangents and phases with film so how did you how did you get started with that what sparked that serious film exploration it's, it's weird because, I mean, I've always loved movies growing up. Both of my parents, I, I know I've mentioned before, work in film. And so, it, but they don't own a lot of movies, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I think is like one of those things you'd expect. But anyhow, I mean, what I, movies do they own? What's like some choice ones they have? I know that we own Star Trek. I mean, Star Wars. I love Star Trek, but not movies. No, well, I saw the movies too, but. Star Wars we owned on VHS. The trilogy, you know, that, yeah. that box set that everybody had. Exactly. Much. Legend mm. they had on VHS. Indiana Jones we taped off the TV. Right. Which was <laughs> a big thing for uh, our childhood, I guess. That I was... think, yeah, that was a big thing because my mom loves music and they have, a, we have, they have a decent vinyl collection. And my mom had a bazillion cassette tapes. 
And then I remember CDs came out and my parents were like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, man, we just rebought all these things on cassette and now we have to go buy CDs. Not going to happen. And I remember it took until almost to the year 2000, <laughs> I think, for us to get a CD player. It was sometime in the late 90s. And the first CDs we had was uh, like Abbey Road and like Graceland by Paul Simon. And then the Cops theme song. Really? <laughs> EP. <laughs> It was just Bad Boys and then like three remixes of Bad Boys. Oh, man. That sounds great. <laughs> but I think that it was the same thing with, with music and movies. They figured, why am I buying VHS? It's going to just something else is going to come along. Did they ever get into DVDs? A little bit more because DVDs kind of lasted, you know, yeah. but uh, it, it and took still, them a while. I mean, DVDs still come out and there's still like there's still ones where I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to get that. Even though it's yeah. not like Blu-ray or whatever. Like there'll be movies that finally come out on like Warner Archive or wherever else. And it's like, fuck. You know? Right. People don't realize there are so many movies that are on VHS and have never been on DVD, never been, you know, streaming oh, anywhere, yeah. never Blu-ray and even movies that were never on VHS. Like there's so many gaps that just they need to constantly be filled. And there's always reasons to still seek out, you know, formats and whatnot. You can't find everything on netflix even though it feels like you can like the bulk of netflix is just there's so much filler stuff that nobody really wants to see but it feels like netflix has this huge fucking library but like i go to the fucking public library i rent movies that way for free and i i always check i always look like what's on netflix and it's always nope 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 like I'll get 10 movies that aren't on Netflix that are recent films. Right. And that's the only way I can fucking see them. You know? Right. And I'm seeing them for free. So, you know, there's always a use for, you know, DVD or Blu-ray or whatever else. You know, it's all about this role that will never be fully taken over because, you know, there's still movies you have to find a VHS for if you want to see it. There's still movies where you just have to dig a bit like... If I could tell you, past, yeah, you know? how many times I've watched like a VHS rip off YouTube in 18 parts of mm -hmm. a film. <laughs> yeah, and that's like the only way. It's the only way to watch it. So sorry, let's let's go back to uh, right. So so then in college, I basically just hit. I in freshman year went to one college, hated it, and then I studied abroad in London for a year, and then I transferred into a different college, uh, my junior year. So I didn't know anybody, and it was uh, in the Midwest. And I'm from New York. So it was just was like... Was there a culture shock with that? Uh, well, I didn't have a car and I couldn't go to uh, the supermarket. <laughs> so you're kind of landlocked just in your dorm, basically. Yeah. And it, and it was also, a, it was a large school. So I didn't really, it was a, uh, I don't know, like 50,000 people or something. 50,000? Yeah. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I don't know anything. It's like, that's <laughs> like someone's like, oh, you Mish? I'm like, yeah, I guess. You know, like I'm, I kind of went there. Do you know the team? Is there a team? The Wolverines. That's the only time I've ever been to a sporting event, actually. Football? I've never been to, it was football game. And that's apparently the largest football stadium in the U.S. or oh, something. Wow. Or at least it was at the time. Good seats? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a good time at all? Uh, I, I basically went because my boyfriend at the time, like, was just he was a quarterback <laughs> yeah right he was like here i have a ticket you want to go i was like all right it was fine i mean I, I was what i was very uh strange to me was like the culture of like how everyone on your side like yells some mean stuff to the other team yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like you suck and you're like that's not nice yeah <laughs> and everyone knows it that was the other thing like everyone knew like what hand signals to use i felt like <laughs> It's like, like I another missed planet. this class. Was, yeah. there a, was yeah. I supposed to take the hand signs and all that class? And these class? chants in the songs. I was like, how do you all know? Yeah. 
But um, so I was just mostly very bored in, in college because I was going to class and then I didn't have a car. I was yeah stuck in town. I didn't really know too many people. So I just decided one day, well, this is really boring and I'm just going to go. I forgot they have a library in the in the uh, in the university. So I'm they just going to go. They have a library <laughs> in the university. So I was like, all right, let me just go rent some movies, you know, and then I started, I think I asked my mom initially, I was like, hey, give me a list of movies to watch, you know, like, because I realized, oh, shit, there's a massive uh, collection they have here, obviously, and I wasn't even a film major, I was a history major, but I just started to, you know, I just became my thing. I, every day I go rent a different film, <laughs> like every single day. And it got to the could point where... Could you only where, take out one at a time? Was that the thing? I think it was two or maybe you could do three, but it was like you had to watch like... You, it would be three, but you only had like three days or something. That sucks. And See, so I tried to do it... At the public library here, you can get 10 for seven days. Right. And you can renew them online and you can place holds on... It's like the ideal situation where you're almost like... How am I able to do this? Like, wh why is this a thing? Like, it it's almost seems too good to be true. Well, it's funny. Then my uh, senior year, I moved and I lived then I lived next to the Ann Arbor Public Library. And it was exactly like that. And it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and if they didn't have your movie, you could also request it to get sent, you know, yep. like, as libraries do. <laughs> I know. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, I, for I forgot. I really did until I started doing that. And I was like, libraries are pretty awesome. Yep. Completely forgot. But anyhow, I got to the point where I'd been watching so many movies, I wanted to keep track of them. And I've always been watching movies. This wasn't like new. It wasn't like suddenly I, I'd never seen a movie and now I am. But right. I just I was doing it at such a breakneck speed. I, I decided, all right, let me like keep track of these. And Facebook has a Flickster app, which uh, Is I Is that will, still around or did it get it's bought by still around. Rotten I think Tomatoes? Maybe Rotten Tomatoes owns it. Right. But it's still called Flickster. I still use the app. You can also use the same app, yeah, through Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Either company can also uh, pay me to endorse them because I'm a big fan. But <laughs> they aren't currently, but maybe in the future. Who <laughs> yeah, knows? Yeah, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. say no more. But so uh, I started to review them. And by the end of two years, I had reviewed 700 movies. Jesus. And I was very bored. That's basically a movie a day. Yeah, it, it got to that point. I think I slowed down eventually, but it was at least four movies a week, at least. Did you ever do like a bunch in one day? I definitely did double features, yeah. but it got, also gets to a point where eventually you're like, all right, I got to like get up. <laughs> and you're somebody who, who finishes movies. You wrote a piece for the site, always finished a goddamn movie. Like yeah. you, you didn't, these aren't ones where you put them in for five minutes and they're like, eh, and then tried another one. Like you, you really stuck these out. Yeah. I don't think I've ever reviewed, maybe once I've reviewed a movie that I didn't finish, but for the most part, I won't, even if I get halfway through it and I don't I don't get to finish it because maybe I've seen it on TV or something and I missed the rest of it or I walked in halfway I won't review it because I feel like I didn't get the full experience I might right. like make a note I should rewatch this at some point but. I remember hearing that about Edgar Wright who I know you you like some of his films the you know the Shaun of the Deads and yeah uh, World's End and whatnot he he's he's like you he compulsively if he starts a movie, he has to finish it no matter what. Well, I'm also the type of person who will show up at the theater like a half hour early. Right. And like wait in line or sit down and be the only person in the theater. I get very angry if I if like I meet up with friends and they're like, oh, we'll just show up five minutes before <laughs> I flip out. It makes me really uncomfortable. You're basically the ideal consumer of uh, movie media. Basically, <laughs> you're like their dream uh, audience member. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing is I like I love researching movies afterward. 
I, I think it's, I typically, and it's so easy now, obviously, yeah. you just Google it. I, yeah, I've found you always end up liking it more after you do that, yeah. no matter what. Even if you hated it, the more you find out about the context of the film afterwards, just in like very passive, like simple Google searching, usually do like it a little bit better. Like maybe a two star will become a two and a half or a three, a three and a half or whatever. Right. Or, or you just start, I never really paid attention to actors or directors or cinematographers and all these things that I always knew I liked, but I never realized, I never really stopped to think about it. And now I definitely will pay attention. If I liked that character in that movie, I'm going to see who wrote it. I'm going to see like, uh, what, have, what else have they done? Yeah. And I've definitely found some fantastic movies just by following the actor or by following the writer or the cinematographer, not just the director, which I think is what a lot of people end up doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, the default thing is to chase directors. And you see that in people that like, you know, consider themselves film buffs or whatever. And like you find out like, all right, well, what's your what's your favorite stuff? And he's like, you know, I love all the Kubrick stuff. And I love right. all the it's like you, you can see Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, you can see the the very easy uh, routes they took with film. And that's nothing against Kubrick and nothing against Tarantino, but like your first initial reaction is, oh, the director must be the most important thing. And I should just chase director after director and just, you know, grab these little filmographies here and there. But, you know, sometimes it's the cinematographer. Like one of my favorite cinematographers is Nestor Almendros. And you can you can trace him through Eric Romer films. You can trace him through uh, Terrence Malick. You know, you can you can follow these certain cinematographers in these in these great ways where you find movies that you would love by completely different directors just because you know the quality of light and the shots and the 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 lens choices you know that's that's such a huge part of what engages you as far as what you're seeing on screen that sometimes cinematographer can be a a much better choice of uh through line for finding other films talk fujimoto is another great example because you can trace him from uh something wild the the jonathan demi movie and you can trace him into like m night Shyamalan stuff like he, he did that diverse a uh, range of types of films that you'll see the same attention towards like color and detail in that regard in these completely different genres and you'll you'll enjoy all these different movies yeah definitely and i think even if um i found that with actors it seems to be my favorite is to to choose actors that care about directors. Yeah. And because when you have someone who really um, pays attention to their own career and, and loves movies and is doing it because they love movies, they tend to, to pick great people. And then, then you're following the actor instead of just one director, you're following everything that they love, mm. which is really interesting. And you find, you know, and uh, I think for a lot of actors, like Paul Bettany is actually really good with that. And mm -hmm. then now he's sort of been choosing the bigger budget stuff, I think, because he has children. Yeah. You know, you, and, and you, you definitely also, see the choices change in certain right. actors. Like you can trust a certain period. And then, you know, once they got a family to support, they're going to be making different choices. But maybe right. there was like a golden period where they were making really interesting choices. Yeah. No, it's definitely I would definitely recommend that if you ever or, or actually with television, um, you know, if you there's one episode of TV you like, don't just pass it off as you know, the X-Files is great. Look who wrote that episode. Right. See what else they've written. Especially in genre stuff. You yeah. Know, there were, there were render writers that carried over from like Twilight Zone to like Star Trek to like, Oh yeah. To like Matheson, I know is like a good example of like a, a writer that jumped from like all different like sci-fi stuff. And, you know, one of these like great solid writers that it's just, you know, 
solid storytelling and solid, compelling uh, tales, you know, that any genre, you know, you can write if you can write that, you know. Yeah, go go follow Patty Chayefsky, everyone. Yeah, great example. That's a great one. Because yeah. then you have TV, you have movies, you have everything. Mm-hmm. And Mammoth, too. Mammoth's a good example. Oh, you, yeah. You have stuff that's very Mammoth. You have stuff like Oleana, where it's just two people talking, and you can't even fathom how two people could memorize that entire play, essentially. And then, you know, there was a filmed version, which is fantastic. But, like, the dialogue is so stilted that you can't even fathom how people could ever even remotely memorize that and then this is the same guy writing like untouchables and a whole bunch of other stuff i like the edge you know he wrote the edge which is basically just anthony hopkins and alec baldwin in the woods running away from a bear you know <laughs> he's a, he's a fun one to uh to chase around mammoth definitely yeah I, playwrights i sometimes find are, are a little more iffy like tom stoppard i love his plays i've mm -hmm. not really liked his movies some like, of them uh, are okay. The Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I didn't like that movie. I love that play. Yeah, it's you read it and it's fucking brilliant. But the the film there, there's something grating about it. I think. Yeah, they messed up. I yeah. don't. I, and I think we should do an episode on on a you know play to film. Yeah, that's a that could be a really good one because you get you get solid ones like uh, I think Neil Labute's really good at that. I think um, Mamet. Definitely. There are certain guys who just make the transition really well. Yeah, it's, I think from plays to, to movies, it can get a little bit harder. Yeah. But, well, that's the other thing you can follow is um, just where countries. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Or time to decades, you know. Yeah, certain decades in like maybe, you know, 60s England or, you know, 70s American, you know, these iconic sort of... Uh, because everything, Decades. right, they have their own style. And sometimes, you know, it, it, you like to see how different people interpret different styles. But, you know, also you just kind of want a movie that has like really bright colors, like 60s London, you know, like yeah. just go right for it. The 60s in general, but like 60s Europe, like, you know, France too. You know, definitely you just see like um, the stylistic choices. And then you also, I don't know, I love drawing connections to stuff. And I love sort of seeing, you know, what what really helps this movie along. Was it just the fact that it's set in this decade or that they shot it in that decade, mm. which is always better. I always get so annoyed when there's movies like um, Across the Universe. Mm. I remember in college yeah. once there was some girl who uh, and it was a class about like the 60s. And this girl was like, oh, if you want to know, see a good movie about the 60s, you guys have got to see Across the Universe. <laughs> Shipping had just come out. And I, I went on a rant. I'm like that person in your lecture class. I was like, that's ridiculous. I was like, there are so many great movies from the 60s. Yeah, that's a 10-year period where people <laughs> were making films because films existed as an art form. And they're so watchable. And it's not even <laughs> like they're all black and white and silent. You know what I mean? Which no. are also fucking amazing anyhow, you sure. know? But. I can understand maybe why someone's more intimidated by something like that than like a movie from the 60s. Like, geez, it's ex yeah, if you <laughs> it's like so the much 60s better. aesthetic, you know, watch 60s movies. Exactly. Why would you deal with across the universe? I mean, there's even Beatles movies like go watch a Beatles movie, <laughs> it's which is totally psychedelic and nuts. It's as ridiculous as if she stood up and was like, you know, it's a really cool like 60s thing. Like, have you ever seen Austin Powers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that was like really cool. Like it was very psychedelic with the colors. It's like know? that weird rewriting. Oh it's like, God. you know, it's it's cheesy. No one wants the reproduction. Like reproduction 60s is nowhere near as great and crazy as actual 60s. It, it's funny because a lot of times they'll they'll overdo it 
but also you'll think they overdid it, but they kind of underdid it. Like you'll see stuff yeah. in the sixties. that's like way fucking crazier and colorful and just out of left field. You know, like you look at a movie like, uh, like head, the, uh, the yeah. monkeys movie. And that's just like, there, there's so much humor built into that. That is so sixties that almost none of it is still applicable and is still something that you could find humor in. Like there's, you always notice these certain things where like, especially in 60s comedies, there's a lot about 60s humor that didn't really carry over to the next decade and the decade after and through until now, where you'll see like jokes where you can't even conceive of people ever finding it funny <laughs> and just tangents where you have no idea what they're referencing whatsoever because the thing they're referencing probably has never been on DVD and never really went into syndication. Like there's all these like very like topical pop culture things that just didn't have any longevity so you have no idea where they're drawing from and i feel like head's pretty good example of that there's a lot of 60 stuff like um what's up pussycat oh god yeah i mean that's one of those films where you can't even conceive of anyone deriving enjoyment or humor from that whatsoever but that was like a pretty popular film and that kind of launched woody allen and you know, everybody adored Peter Sellers and it was like this. Peter Sellers, he's definitely someone where if you want to see what the 60s are like, you can go watch Peter Sellers yeah. movies because it sucks because he's a great. Peter Sellers, when he's on, is so amazing. And then the rest of it is like that 60s trash, as you were saying. It's like stuff that like it's not even it's so beneath him. It's so stupid. Like um, Casino Royale mm. is also exactly like What's New Pussycat. It's but like, that was like oh, a God. big film, wasn't it? I don't, I think, I mean, that movie has about like 50 writers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like directors, I think. Like it, no one wanted that movie. It kept getting yeah. handed off and handed off and it has this wonderful all-star cast. If you ever want to see a massive flop that actually is fairly amusing in just how nuts and off the wall it is. Right. It's it's crazy. It's a crazy movie and it's totally worth like watching. <laughs> it's totally worth sitting through. It's so funny to me that there's Casino Royale and then there's the modern Casino Royale, which is completely fucking different. So different. <laughs> <laughs> two two movies with the same title with the same source material have never been more different than <laughs> the original Casino Royale and the uh, Daniel Craig Casino Royale. That would be a great double billing, actually. <laughs> I would do Daniel Craig first and exactly. then the 60s one second. <laughs> that would, yeah, you have to lead up to that. You can't you can't open with that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with some questions. See you soon. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Okay, Entourage doesn't look like a very good movie. I've never seen the show. I'm not really sure what all's going on there seems like just like a lot of casual sex and stuff and bad jokes but that's whatever if it works it works what i'm more concerned about is the girlfriends that go to see it what i mean is these girls go in there with um their boyfriends and they're both very nicely dressed and the girls are really hot and they're really excited they're like grinning they're elated to be with this man and the guys kind of standoffish won't really talk to me when i greet them but she will She'll order wine or whatever. She's just stoked. And then as the movie begins, they start to switch places. Her face starts to drop as he starts to get excited. And about halfway through the movie, you can tell on the face of the girl that she's realized that she's made a mistake. Not just in letting him pick the movie, but in dating a guy 
who likes this kind of movie. <laughs> and he stays in the theater while she goes out and she asks for the check. And I've had this happen a couple times. And she usually says, you know, I can't take it anymore. This is awful. And I can tell she means not just about the movie, but about the guy. And it's fucking crazy. Uh, like I said, I don't really know the movie that well. I just know that I've seen this, this reaction. I don't know. It just fascinates me. Another side note is a lot of the guys who walk in there wear flip-flops. I've gotten many complaints from myself and from my coworkers that when we're crouching down, we really don't want to see your feet, you know? And uh, if you're going to go to a movie, don't wear flip-flops. That goes for all men, even the ones that aren't douches. Just don't do it. Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. All right, this question is from Adam, and he asks, what about Lawrence of Arabia do you find so compelling? <laughs> and I think this is directed towards Jenna. This is a friend of yours, right? Adam, I think, is Alex Hyatt's friend. Ah, yes. So he's a friend of yours and mine, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Adam. Hi, Alex. Hi, yeah. Alex. Hi, Hyatt. Hi, Hyatt. <laughs> the thing he hates <laughs> more than anything. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah Lawrence I love of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. And he's probably saying that because my Facebook header is a picture of Peter O'Toole and, and a camel. But um, no, that movie. So that movie is just it's fantastic for so many reasons. For one of one, I love the setting. Mm -hmm. I love this. No CGI. You just you forget how goddamn beautiful the world is. Yeah. You know, and then when you see it on like a big screen, when you really have it out there, like 70 millimeter or something like, man, what a gorgeous movie. And, you know, why are we wasting time with these like CGI bullshit when we could just pour the millions of dollars into like shooting in Morocco or, yeah, you, you know, can still go out there and find breathtaking locations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no shortage of them out there. We don't need to see, you know, the same bridges come down with CGI, you right. know, over and over and over, and over, and over again. again. It's, it's funny to me that like spectacle used to mean like, seeing beautiful parts of the world that you haven't seen before. And now we've relegated that to the realm of like documentary and like planet earth and like life and like those little British documentary series that we love, you know, but we we've sort of stripped that away from film, you know, and now it's just about like what things that we've seen a million times, you know, like the golden gate bridge, can we see be destroyed in you yeah, know, or various it's like the ways? Kick flips or, in the air that were like, you know, ooh, that's the the mantelpiece. What is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> the starring piece of something of any action movie ends up being like a money you know, shot. I guess like the one thing that people come to see is you're like, well, the you know that car jumped through a building into another building. Yeah, exactly. Like that's not. Come on. And you see that in the trailer usually too. Right. And it's not like it totally ruins it. You see like it. five seconds of it and then like the whole thing is like 10 seconds or whatever. Like it's it's ridiculous. But yeah, Lawrence of Arabia is a great example of, you know, it's a narrative film, but you're seeing the world too, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, what's compelling about that story is throwing this white guy in the middle of the desert and, uh, you know, with the whole British military behind him and for them to say, hey... Uh, go fix this for us, you know? And then he sort of loses himself. And T.E. Lawrence in general was very interesting. And I, and you know, I used to be a history major. It's about as much as that degree's ever done for me. It's just so I can <laughs> say that while I'm saying something else. So you can talk about Lawrence of Arabia with yeah. a bit of authority. I've Well, I've actually read, um, he wrote The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, which is his uh, memoir. 
Mm. It's like about 700 pages. And I've been slowly getting through that over the course of years. So one pillar for every 100 pages. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically. You know what's terrible, side note, is that he wrote that memoir, took it on a train, left the bag in the train, and had to rewrite the entire thing. Oh, man. That's That's like like losing your hard drive. (laughs) Dude, that's like that David Wayne short. Have you ever seen that one with Amanda Peet and him? No, it's a, it's called a novel. I'll post a link to it. It's one of my favorite things that's ever existed on the internet, which is, it's a little like three minute short that he did where he's a writer and, you know, it's him finishing his, uh, screenplay or no, his book, yeah, novel, duh, it's called a novel. (laughs) (laughs) He finishes his novel finally. And like, he's yelling to his wife in the other room, like I finished it, honey. And then he like takes it and prints it and then he throws it right into the fire. And (laughs) he has to then try and write the novel from scratch before she comes back into the room. It's just a great little like short about basically a writer's worst fear. And it's amazing that that essentially (laughs) that worst fear happened to him. Oh, it's so terrible, too, because you read that this book and it's so detailed. That's why it's been sort of a, a slog for me to get through is that I'll, I'll get really into it for a time. And then it gets to like him just describing every rock. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're like, I oh, saw God. this rock. Yeah. And you're like, how and do you know it? it was shinier than all the ones before. <laughs> but then like into that novel, like he'll, or the memoir, he'll have these little like, you know, he meets up with some tribe who tell him his blue eyes remind and he's fluent. In, in the language, you mm. know, like he, I mean, he, T.E. Lawrence himself was just amazing. And he, um, they find, say like, oh, your blue eyes remind me of this, seeing the sky through a skull. Oh, man. You know, and you're like, yeah, like, <laughs> hear more. And then it's like, well, and then we walked for 7,000 miles yeah. and there was a rock on the left and a rock on the right. And like, you know, 500 <laughs> pages later. And then but, I asked this other guy, what's, <laughs> what's so beautiful about my eyes, in your opinion? <laughs> like, well, your eyes are like seeing a marble coated in glass, shimmering... In the sky when you throw it up in the air. Which is actually where they got Brando's tapes for Apocalypse Now. And then I saw another rock. (laughs) (laughs) And then I saw a rock beside it. (laughs) And then I saw a man in the distance. And I walked to that man. (laughs) And I told him, tell me something beautiful about my eyes. (laughs) This would be, I would read it. I'd read it. I should do an improvised audio book. (laughs) His memoir. And just put it out as the seven pillars of... (laughs) Just upload it like on a torrent. That was <laughs> just somebody has to download it for like a paper they're writing, and they're like, "What the fuck is going on?" I miss those days of Napster where I once downloaded. It said Bob Dylan covering Creep. <laughs> it was so good. It was just it some was guy doing an impression. Just some guy's like, "I'm a creep." <laughs> I'm a weirdo. Well, that like, used to be how a lot of bands got exposure is that they would mislabel their songs intentionally yeah. and upload them. So you'd, you'd see like, oh, Blink-22. I haven't seen that song song with that title before. And then you download it and some other pop punk band that just mislabeled their song so that people would download it. Right. That was like a way of cheating the system that uh, people used on Napster where like it sort of unintentionally became this like springboard for a lot of like smaller bands who would just hide as bigger bands. So people would download their stuff. Well, this guy, the only other thing he released <laughs> besides his Bob Dylan doing creep was Bob Dylan falling down a well, <laughs> <laughs> which was all oh, it was, man. was an audio recording of I'm Bob Dylan falling down a well. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Wherever you are, guy, you made my life. I he sounds you. like he would be your best friend. He probably will marry me one day. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, did you ever hear duckjob.wave? 
which was a a very popular like passed around thing like before memes before anything this was just when like the internet was you know becoming a thing where everybody had aol and a screen name and all that stuff me and you remember because we're in the same generation with that it was one of those things that get got passed around and it was a a comedian on stage and to this day i don't know what comedian this is i have like a sneaking, I think it's probably Charles Fleischer or something doing it on stage. I'm not entirely certain because it's done very, very well. So it's probably somebody who's known for doing like cartoonish, silly voices and playing around with that, like, and who is also a stand up. Um, it's a guy doing a really spot on Donald Duck impression, but it's Donald Duck getting a blowjob. Oh, I have heard that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something everybody has heard, I yeah. think. It, it was like somebody sent it to you or you heard it at a friend's house or whatever. Yeah. Everybody's heard that fucking MP3. I think, <laughs> but it was duckjob.wave. I remember it was like pre-MP3. Like it was- Yeah, everyone loved waves. That yeah, was a big thing. Th- it was, I am I am dead certain it was a wave file. And it was probably my first, like, you know, introduction to what even a wave file was. I really <laughs> didn't even know it was an audio file until I, I heard duckjob.wave. And I mean, it's it's really fucking well done. Like you listen to it today and the he does it really well. It's not like a throwaway joke. He really like gets into it and the acting of it and does the the voice so well and does the voice through different modes of pleasure too. Like he just fucking <laughs> nails it so well. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my that's my duck job story. I forget what that was even attached to or why. I even we were talking that. about T. E. Lawrence. All right, yeah, from from T. E. Lawrence to duck job. That's actually perfect. The Cody Clark story. <laughs> well, I'll just say uh, the the one other thing just about T. E. Lawrence. It, he's such an interesting guy, and I do love that he was you know dropped into this complete other culture that he liked, that he was really interested in, and but was then told to lead it. And he does it, and then halfway through, he realizes that he's like, like a complete creep, horrible person, mm. you know. And then his realization of, you know, just how badly he's fucked up, and he, his sort of real, also understanding of how he doesn't fit in this culture. He doesn't really fit in England. He doesn't really fit with them, you know. And it's this, in, it's just, it's such an interesting movie, just psychologically for the, for for T. E. Lawrence and right. for and Peter O'Toole is such a great actor. He nails it. He has a complete charming ego he does those little skips (laughs) you know like he just completely it's just such a fantastic looking movie beautifully shot wonderfully paced i think actually it doesn't feel long even though you know it has that intermission and fantastically acted so have you seen it on the have you seen it on the big screen uh i have projected it but i haven't actually gone actually um they're gonna be playing that in astoria queens this month oh and wow if i'm gonna if i'm around i'm definitely gonna is that go. museum and a moving image yeah that's pretty cool they're, yeah they do a 70 whole thing. millimeter 70 print? millimeter that's probably the way to see if you're gonna see it like that's yeah, the ideal that's... way i mean it's like with 2001 you know you can you yeah. can watch 2001 on a dvd or blu-ray and you get some idea of it, but you really have to like look up at it. It's like the thing I always say about King Kong is that that first King Kong, don't watch it, you know, straight on on your laptop or your well, especially not your laptop because you're essentially looking down at it. You know, you're looking at it as a miniature and don't look at it straight on at your television. If you're going to watch it at home, you know, sit on the fucking floor and look up at it because you really like even the the opening titles lead you upward like they're they knew people were going to be looking up at it. So it was really composed for that. You have to be looking up at 
Kong and then you're just fucking in it. Like I don't I don't know how anybody could watch that and not be fully in it, you know. If oh, they yeah. watch it that way where they're seeing big and they're looking upward at it. Definitely. All right, so the next question is from Chloe and it's a two-parter and she asks what character from film do each of you identify with the most and why? And bonus question, what character does each of you remind each other of and why? Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. First one, for me, I would say a combo of, and I think I've mentioned this before, a combo of Buckaroo Banzai and Ferris Bueller. I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned the Ferris Bueller thing, but the Buckaroo, Buckaroo Banzai thing I've mentioned before because... That was one of the films that I saw like as a kid where it's a very unique character because it's a character that does a multitude of things where like he's a brain surgeon and he plays guitar and can fucking shred. And he's like, he's just like this overall cool guy who has like a bunch of different niche interests. And I really responded to that just as like a, like a, as per- a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as permission that that was like an okay thing to do. Cause usually in yeah. films, like it's, you know, if you're a race car driver, you're a race car driver. If you're a uh, doctor, you're a doctor. If you're somebody who can shred on guitar, you, that's that's just what you are. You aren't all of those fucking things in one person. And I've always responded to the uh, the concept of like, uh, I, it's like a Japanese thing. I forget what it is. It might be a, a, a Hagakure like samurai thing where it's like, when you know the way in like one path, you know the way in like all paths or something where like if you know one thing well, then you can see that same pursuit and that same vibe in like anything that you would ever want to know well. Like if you if you get really fucking good at like carpentry, then you can also get really fucking good at like a guitar or anything. Like it's all it all comes from the same thing. There's always like there's basically one process of like learning mastery of something and when you do that once then you can apply that to other things so i just love that as a concept and i always saw bucker bonsai as like an example of somebody who has done that you know who who mastered a whole bunch of different things and i always like admired that and strive for that and like i've always had a lot of varied interests i've always been into movies and music and a whole bunch of other things too like very esoteric things and it was like it was great to see that and that being a hero character and being able to sort of respond to that and dig that. I um, think that's why I liked Robin Williams as a kid, even though my introduction was like genie and Aladdin, uh-huh. but because he had so many references, I always liked when you had like a character yeah. that knew had that, all that knowledge behind them. Oh yeah. That was definitely appealing for me too. Yeah. He kid. would draw from like fucking anything, you know, he, he, you could tell he was a guy who had a very wide range of interests and wide range of knowledge of uh you know pop culture and things to riff on and things to bring up to relate to other things you know totally yeah so for ferris bueller um like the way that he took charge of like just bringing people together that's like something i i've always enjoyed doing like knowing what a perfect day is and being like all right we're doing this and we're going to do this and it's gonna be awesome let's go let's do it i've always like felt like that that's always been my enthusiasm with things and also, I guess the rebellious aspect, like I've never been into school. That's never been a passion of mine, that whole academic thing. I've always liked the, uh, you know, going off and making your own adventure and learning your own thing and like the autodidact kind of school of like life. And so I I very much responded to the way that like he he grabs these two characters and he takes them on a journey and they each have their own journey within it. 
where like they weren't even aware that they would be having that journey. And it was all facilitated by just this like, you know, let's just go fucking do this kind of thing. And that's how I felt with like Smug Film is that like I found people that I really dig like yourself and John D'Amico and Chloe and Harry and Alex. And if I try and name them all, I'm going to miss one. And somebody's going to be really angry with me. Greg. Yeah, Greg, obviously. I'm not going to go for all. There's like a bunch of them now. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to try for all of them because you know I'm going to miss one and that person's going to be pissed off at me. But the whole point is like I find people that I really dug, you know, the film writing of. And then I was just giving them, you know, an umbrella of like, all right, there's strength in numbers. Let's all do this together. And then when we started the podcast, it was like, all right, we're just going to do the podcast. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And I feel like the podcast has been this really wonderful thing and this really great like pursuit that we've all just kind of jumped on. So I guess I relate to Ferris Bueller for that kind of like, come on, let's just do it. And then we do it. And that's awesome kind of thing, which isn't to say that everything every idea I have of like a thing to do is like that. Like things fail and things don't go as you planned, but you know, the major things, you know, you just do it and then you just have some impulse and then you do it and then it goes well. So I've related to those two. I think those would be two that I've really related to. Yeah. I think it depends because I've always been the type of person as a child, whenever I'd see a movie that with a character I'd like, I want to imitate them afterward. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually, um, Malcolm from Jurassic Park was definitely, I was like a big fucking fan because <laughs> in, in same thing with like Han Solo, it was like these characters that were like cool people, but like, you know, they had just enough ego, but they had an intelligence. Like that was always really appealing to me. It's funny that you say Han Solo because I've known a lot of girls that have had Han Solo as almost like an icon for them. Like I've known girls that have dressed up as Han Solo for yeah. Halloween where like they were just they just really responded to Han Solo like it it said something about uh, the female condition or something like there was something <laughs> about it that tr that transferred over. He had a lot of confidence, which I think that when you're, I mean, that's the other maybe the sort of sad thing is that like when you're growing up as a girl, you know, there isn't that many female role models that I related to because you know they're just typically you know support i mean princess leia is not bad actually but i like to always like princess leia no that's a she good wasn't, character yeah she wasn't just she didn't have as much confidence she was you know always in a position of fleeing whereas han solo was you know typically trying to get out of it but mm -hmm. you know he could he could manage it and so i think that you know you become drawn to characters that at least i become sort of was drawn to imitating characters i was attracted to which I think maybe sometimes other people, you know, don't think of it like that. You know, if you see a girl that you find really attractive on film, you're not going to start imitating her. Whereas I Speak did that. Speak for yourself. <laughs> you know, like I would. I, I, I like would, to fancy myself as Diane Lane in Streets of Fire. Maybe. Hey, you know, like that. <laughs> sometimes it's just there's character aspects and personality aspects where you're like, I like that. Like, I want to imitate that. Yeah. And then I, I, you know, realized later in life that that it doesn't always work in attracting other people to you. Yeah. So in certain lonely, in lonely years of my life. Yeah, it's part of your back. overall development for sure. Yeah. I've noticed like you see it with people, people imitating uh, actors. I've seen that with like where humor has gone since like Jed Apatow stuff, where like I'll hear people doing like the you look like a mer 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 mer. Or you look like nah, 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 like that yeah. formula joke. I hear people using it in real life where like, you know, they didn't do it before they saw those films, right. but they saw it enough and they laughed at it enough. They were like, oh man, that would be fun to 
talk to my friends like that. Like, I'm just going to start talking like that and we'll all talk to each other like that. And it'll be great. And yeah, you know, sure. That's fun. Fine. But it's like, it's an inherited, uh, personality, uh, sort of friendship, uh, shorthand thing. You know, it's not, it's not something that came from you. It's something that came from a film you saw and yeah, you know, that's fine. But it, it does become kind of samey in like a comedic context where like you just see friends just talking to each other like that nonstop, you know? Yeah. But I, I'd say then also as a character that um, I saw myself in and, and not as much tried to imitate was um, Stefan from uh, The Science <laughs> of Sleep. I thought you were going to say Stefan from SNL. Yeah, from SNL. <laughs> My favorite club is Wesh. <laughs> I was like, really, Jetta? That was your, that's your style icon and that's your... Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've got everything. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, from the Science of Sleep, I love that movie. And I, what I liked, I love Stefan because he's this character that, you know, kind of lives in his own head a little bit. Yeah. And then is inevitably disappointed by, by the world. And it's like as you get older and, and, you know, more depressed and then like, you know, it was like maybe not the friendliest thing to have (laughs) seen myself in. But I was definitely drawn to that movie for him and for for relating to his character and relating to the emotion experience. It's an aspect of the human condition and an aspect of creativity. Yeah. For sure. All right. So I'm trying to think of one for you, like for that second part of the question of one that reminds me of you. Do you have one for me? Because I'm still kind of Yeah. You know, it's funny because... This isn't really a character. I mean, I bet if I, you know, if I had a little more time, like I'm going to like the blob. leave. <laughs> I'm going to leave and then I'm going to be like, of course it was blotty blah, blah. But, um, well, of course it was blotty blah. <laughs> for some reason, um, the movie Down by Law reminds me of you. Really? And I think like Jim Jarmish a little bit in general. Huh. But, um, I don't, that, John I don't Lurie. Even, oh, yeah I, can, yeah. I guess I can see that. His just like his, it's like mannerisms yeah. a little bit more than it is. I mean, like you're both tall, thin, white dudes, but like you don't really look like him. Yeah. But like, it just that movie is really it's charming, but it's also like I don't know. It's it, it's very character and very specific. And you are definitely a, like a specific. If like <laughs> if you meet Cody, like Cody is sort of a character, right? You know, like I'm I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna call you out. Yeah, I'm a character. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you're just very unique, and you, and you're like you're you're your own person, and it's like you. If someone's met you, they're like, oh yeah, I know Cody. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like oh, was it that guy? No, like yeah. you know, if you know, if you fucking met Cody, <laughs> it's like did I meet him? Did I not meet him? Yeah, it's like you met him if you met him. Uh, Down by Law. It's funny that you chose that one because that's not one of the ones that I like most of like the uh, Jarmish ones. Like it, that's one of the ones where I'm just like, eh, about like on paper, it's probably the one that I would like the most. But for some reason, the execution of it, just not my favorite. Um, I like Stranger in Paradise better. Um, so I can see the Lurie thing in that that you're picking up on. And probably fishing with John, like that. Fishing with John is if amazing. I, if I cared about fishing, that's probably <laughs> the show that I would make about fishing. You yeah, know? I I'm could glad see he already that. did that because I don't. I don't really care about fishing. I don't so. think he did either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's pretty clear. But yeah, yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. I like the Lurry. <laughs> he's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's you know jazz artist actor. He's got all that stuff going yeah. on too. You know what I'll choose for you. I'm going to choose essentially all of the female characters in Putney Swope. <laughs> Have you seen Putney Swope? Yeah, that's a great movie. I'll, I'll choose all the female characters in Putney Swope because I feel like if you were in a film, it would be something like that. <laughs> and it would be one of those types. And I, especially the 
you can't eat an air conditioner lady. <laughs> I could just see you saying that that line in the film. <laughs> you can't eat an air. Am I getting the line right? I think that's it, right? I think that was it. You yeah. can't eat an air conditioner. <laughs> That, that's the line I could imagine you delivering in a film. I would love to do that. Movie. So I'll let's say, do a shot by shot remake of that movie. <laughs> I'll say all the female characters in Putney Swope. That's Jenna. Hi, hell yeah. Yeah, because that would that's that, that would be your gig. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I like that too. All right, we are gonna wrap it up. Any uh, final thoughts for the audience before we skedaddle? I'd say I know that you guys uh, probably don't really care about Elvis. Give these reviews a shot, dude. They're yeah. pretty. They're pretty amusing. If uh, I do say so myself. I've been reading them. I'm. I've been getting excited for like the next week and what two ones are going to be the the ones and all that. And they're purely ridiculous. Yeah. They're so nutty. It's like if you like the room or something. If you like these True. sort of like uh, mystery science theater, like these movies are basically on par with that sort of film. They're better. They are better done, but like they're just so weird. If you like stop and think about them. Yeah. Like when I write out the synopsis, I'm like, I don't know. Even just reading like the Jenna synopsis of it, because if you go on like IMDb or Wikipedia, you're going to read like a very sterile synopsis of it. I get the sense people didn't even watch the film for some of those. (laughs) It's just like Elvis is here and he does that. And I'm like, dude, you missed the whole crazy (laughs) thing that like your synopses are like very accurate and you definitely see the goings on of the film within them and they're fucking crazy <laughs> so definitely read those those pieces i i throw my endorsement behind them yeah not just because they're on the fucking website but because they're really fun to read and it's it's a crazy uh filmography that he had nuts absolutely all right thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you soon bye 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 <laughs>